Hey, Rita, this is Corey. Hey, Corey. Hey, nice Rita. To meet you. Great to meet you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Well, let's jump sure. in. Okay. <laughs> I cut you off. Go ahead. Now, I was just going to say, Cheryl and David, they are your parents. They are always talking about the um, what you guys are doing with the underground church, and it's pretty amazing to me. So keep it up. Yeah, well, we're we're loving all the things that we're exploring. And one of the places we get to explore the ideas of what we're doing is on this podcast. So uh, we are currently in this series mm-hmm. where we, well, I'll tell you what, I'll have Corey do more of the introduction because um, I'm, I'm learning more from him about movements around the world, and he can kind of talk about why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Specifically, we are in, in the midst of uh, talking about the ways that we make disciples from the ground up and just this focus on, you know, obedience-based disciple-making and, you know, more of a, a discovery-based approach uh, and people discovering the Holy Spirit's teaching people. And then it's like, okay, what are you going to do about it this week? Who are you going to share it with? And really putting all of our eggs in the basket of not just transferring a lot of information but allowing the Holy Spirit to do his thing on his timing, and then we respond in obedience. So, yeah, we're in this kind of, uh, we're always like a a series within a series within a series. So we're in this (laughs) series of obedience-based disciple-making, talking about what it looks like to plant the gospel in new places, make disciples from the ground up. And all of that is underneath another series about just talking about movements in general, like the characteristics of how, how the gospel moves. Right from person to person, from network to network. So we like to talk to practitioners, and uh, Rita, that's why you're here. Yeah. You are a practitioner. That's right. My parents couldn't stop talking about you when we were uh, talking about you know who are people we know around the world who are into obedience based, and they understand that as a primary framework within sharing the gospel. So um, both of them were like, "This is one of the smartest people we know on the planet." So you should go talk to her. So. <laughs> Did we set that bar? I think bar? not be biased. Say <laughs> <laughs> so we set the bar high enough for you right there. Sorry. Yeah. Um, why don't we do this? Let's, you know, slow it down, get a little bit more of your story uh, first. So you're in Texas right now, but why don't you give us a little background of how you know my mom and dad, David and Cheryl, and where you spend a lot of time at work, and just give us your call to the field and that sort of thing. Uh, my calling began, I guess, uh, not until I was in my forties, maybe I began some, some woman dragged me into a WMU state meeting and I began uh, meeting missionaries and praying for missionaries and praying for people groups. And I would just gather whatever information I could just to learn and, and pray. And as they would respond back to me about answered prayers. You know, I took that personally. Mm. It dragged me deeper into a passion for prayer. Um, and then I, I did go on some volunteer missionary trip, uh, voluntary mission trips. And that just drew me more into this, this passion. And I, I was totally caught by surprise when God told me to, uh, or invited me, to join him actually on the field in a long-term way. And that started with uh, being a part of the prayer strategy team. And after about six months of making up prayers for people groups I've never met, um, 
to be distributed through Compassion Net International. Everything changed and they began to form what's called the engagement team. So now, and, and also as a result of, of prayer as well, because I wanted to be able to actually see these people that I'm praying for. Mm. I was moved into this position on a team that was responsible to actually go and do research throughout West Africa and find out where the gospel is, where the gospel is not, and then to facilitate uh, teams, churches in the States, nationals nearby, if there happened to be any. Of course, where I was traveling, it, they were remote areas, which is why they did not have the gospel. Mm. So facilitating these teams and training them to actually become missionaries to these unreached people groups. Mm -hmm. So for a few years, my supervisors changed and mm -hmm. David and Cheryl Johnson became my supervisors. Uh, they were awesome. They, uh, they directed me, they guided me, but they also gave me a freedom or they, they just put a high level of trust in me. I feel like just to go and to, to kind of, um, experience things on my own and develop, I guess, just, uh, well, just a lot of freedom and, and how I went about doing the research and then getting people to come alongside. And they're very, very, uh, supportive and maintain contact, even though we were in different countries. I've always been in a different country from my supervisors. Hmm. That's how I began. Yeah, so let me, again, going back to what Corey was saying, our framework for currently where we are is obedience-based disciple-making. And at first I talked to my parents or I talked to mom about, you know, how have you storying and using these stories with unreached pockets of people, how have you used telling the story of creation to cross or whatever framework you're using, and then asking that immediate, um, um, immediate, that is definitely not a word, <laughs> immediate obedience. That's, maybe immediate is Ooh, immediate obedience. Hand? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Well, how are you using that immediate obedience to the story? And the invitation to retell or tell someone else this week as a way to see the gospel spread among those unreached pockets. Well, you know, when I have, I would have a church that would engage a people group, for example, and teaching them how to share the creation to Christ. And of course, everybody wants to share the gospel. It's just, uh, especially when volunteers come, that's what they want to do. And after a, a short period of time, I would see that this particular this particular team, that's what they wanted to do. Let's go to another village and share. Let's go to another village and share. But there came a time when I was like, well, you know, it's such a blessing to be able to see these people that you train to push them out there now and let them share. I want you to watch them, watch what they can do, because mm -hmm. that brings so much more joy um, actually, it really does then for me to actually share, but yeah. to see that those I've trained, that they are sharing and continuing on. And so they began to do that. And one of their trips when they came in, there was uh, a man who stepped out on the road and they said, we ha have this list of people here who want to hear 
the gospel. They want to hear the stories. Wow. And so this team, they went into the village and they actually equipped the man with the list. Wow. And they told him go. to go and share. So they were more there as a moral support. Mm. So that's, that's sort of the beginnings uh, of over the last probably uh, five or six years, um, I've become more intentional training a group of nationals or, or particularly one and then saying, okay, you go and share. Mm. Because when we don't, when the, when white people don't make an entrance into a village, but if it's one of their very own people that's sharing the gospel, that gospel becomes more personal to them. And it's no longer just a white man's gospel. Mm. Mm. Amen. Yeah. We, we talk about that concept a lot in, in disciple making all around the world, really. But even, even as you zoom in in our neighborhoods and in our friend groups and our networks, we always like to say, if, if you have a reason to belong there, you're going to probably have the, the best uh, connectivity to people, right? You, you speak the language, you, yeah, all, all those cult, cultural nuances and those things. It's just, it's, it's who we are, right? So empowering the insider to reach their own people. Yeah. I mean, such a, such a beautiful picture of even how, you know, we see that in throughout Jesus ministry, book of acts, all that stuff. But I'd love to hear, even if you press into that a little bit more, what, what happens, what happens next? What have you seen on the ground as, you know, entire, as you re- reach villages and new, you know, church communities emerge, things like that. Could you walk us through some of just what you've seen as you train people and, and how like movement stuff emerges from the ground up? Um, yes. And I can share even from some of my colleagues, okay. they're actually training people of different languages, bringing in maybe four or five from different languages. And they're teaching them how to take stories from the Bible. Maybe it's a common language French or Spanish or Portuguese, something. So they bring those in and they, these nationals, they will listen in this common language to the stories. And then they are put into groups and they translate those stories into their own heart language. Mm -hmm. And once they do that, they take those stories back to their villages and begin to share those stories. And the, the whole training includes the point where they, the process of crafting the story includes going out and testing to make sure that story is understood mm. by their peers. Mm. And they are asking questions about the story. And the last question is, who do you know that wants to hear the story? Mm-hmm. Go and share it. Mm. And so what we've seen is that this has been, um, there's one people group close by uh, where I live and they have started two groups of their own uh, through the same process. So something that we have been missing for a really long time is the accountability part. Mm -hmm. We're really good about going in and sharing the story and okay, go share, go share. Mm -hmm. But we're haven't been really good about going back and saying, okay, do you remember last time we talked about this story and you went and shared, tell me what happened when you shared. So we've been missing that part of it. And so Mm -hmm. therefore people haven't really been sharing. Mm. So we've really ramped up that ramp that up and holding people's feet to the fire, just like we need to be when we are in church. Who did you share the message with Mm -hmm. this week? 
Uh, and that is what really causes the multiplication. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's funny. It's like, I was doing some trainings uh, this week with uh, some groups in other states, and we were talking about that very, that very last question that we do in our discovery process is, you yeah, know, who are you going to share it with? You know, who, who can you tell in your life about what God's showing you? And there was, I don't know if it was pushback, it was just a question. And, uh, this woman kind of asked, she goes, you know, like, do we have other questions we can ask? Because I know that's sometimes really hard, right? How do how do we, like, it was basically she was saying, like, like, are people going to do this? Yeah. You know, it, it, it is great. So, like, as she asked that question, and, and it's true, that is hard, but it's especially hard among Christians. Because, like, it's especially hard if we don't have a network of people that we know who actually aren't churchgoers or followers of Jesus, if we've really bubbled ourselves in. But man, when you're, when you're connecting with people who don't know Jesus, they're often networks and their friends and their family. And I've been shocked at how much easier it is for someone in that situation to answer that question than it may be as a, a Christian. Is that something that you guys have, have seen consistent in your ministry as well? It is very difficult sometimes for people to even answer questions. What are you getting people to engage in the story? It's when we engage in the story, when we wrestle with the story, that's when the Holy Spirit really works. Mm -hmm. But people are so used to coming in and sitting and listening and then leaving. They're not used to this. Okay, I'm supposed to say something? I'm supposed to respond? Especially in the States. (laughs) Uh, But I I will say that I've been – doing a group in the States. I've been here since March due to COVID. I'll be going back um, next month. But I've had um, two different groups. So I would lead this group. It's a trauma healing Mm. uh, training group using Bible stories. And the design is you have a story and you discuss it. And then, okay, this week go out and share that story with somebody. Mm -hmm. So coming back in, we'll ask how it goes. Well, in the midst of doing this group, there were two members of that group, and they were leading their own groups simultaneously, one week behind. So mm-hmm. they would learn a lesson, and they would go and do the lesson. Nice. And then within their group, uh, this one particular one, she had two other people who are doing the same thing. And so it's mm-hmm. moving forward in that way. And this mm-hmm. is in America yeah. um, via Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so different states involved, and this same girl is, as a result of this, she will be leading a new group involving uh, people in the Philippines, mm-hmm. uh, actually a, Philipp- a church in the Philippines. And so it's it's really spreading. Um, mm-hmm. Now, this is also used in refugee camps yeah. in sub-Saharan Africa, mm-hmm. and we are seeing among Muslim peoples, among these refugees, who have never heard the gospel? We are seeing many groups cha- uh, beginning, uh, multiple generation groups beginning. So mm, that's one of my excitements is to get back and to see how this is going to play out in in my area. Yeah, I I love the question that you asked. Do you have someone you know that would like to hear this story? I think that's how you worded it. Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Do you ha- do you have someone you know that would like to hear this story? Like a couple of things come to mind on that is just what Corey said. (laughs) Do you have people in your life that don't have hope? Because the other thing that it assumes is this story is filled with hope. Mm -hmm. It's a better narrative. 
Yeah. People want to hear something that is going to inform their life about purpose in some way or bring hope in some way. And so the story is assuming those pieces of, I have something that I want other people to have. You know, do you have people in your life that don't have hope? Exactly. And do you want to take this story to them to, you know, anyway, that yeah. was. Oh, you know, so one of the guys in our network, uh, also named Corey, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great name, uh, was he and I were talking about this the other day and he was doing a little discovery kind of group environment with some people. And there's a young guy in this, in this story. And he, I don't think he's ever really read the Bible in his life. You know, I think he had a nominal Catholic background. I think I'm trying to remember the story, but, uh, he just tells the story of how like hit this guy's like the last question, who are you going to share? And, and Corey, I think was saying, you know, kind of expecting that he might say no one. He's like, Hmm, I think my brother's really in a similar, similar place in life. You know, it is just like a really natural. It's, I'm, I'm going to tell him about what we're talking about. It is like so cool, you know. Like, and and it's like it's so encouraging to us as as uh, ordinary disciple makers to be able to really see what God does with when you when you I always say unleash the gospel message, right? We start we take the chain off of it and we let the dog run free in the backyard type of thing, right? Like we unleash it, and so that ordinary people can take it to ordinary people. I mean, that's what you were saying. That's really when we see multiplication. So you said that my parents gave you a high level of freedom, and I don't I don't recall this from childhood. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm I'm just kidding. Actually, I would actually celebrate that they did give me a high level of freedom, uh, which I, I don't. I I am really about control. I like to control the narrative for my children and do the safe protecting. And I'm going to make you exactly in my image. I promise you, I will forge you in the ways of me. Um, and I, but I think there's something about the the freedom that's extended. And I'm curious if you could go a little further on kind of how you felt they were giving you freedom and exploring this. Because and the the question sort of came up in my mind based on the how we share these stories. When we share the story with somebody, we're letting them just go. There's a sense of like, I'm not coming with you. I'm not going to hold your hand. I'm not going to help you. Well, I mean, I might help you become obedient to whatever you feel Jesus is saying, but the way that the gospel spreads, the way that Jesus did it was like, I'm sending you into the next towns and villages. Come back and tell me how it went. That's a high level of freedom. Yeah. And also a high level of accountability, but it's a low level of control. So I'm just curious if you can kind of go into a little bit more of, you know, maybe how that's even shaped the way you've uh, been able to l- release, as we were talking about, just giving people the freedom to go tell these stories and just have that deep trust in your heart that they're actually carrying that story that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that is a concern is that they're going to go and they're going to share this story and add things to it or leave things things out. Like Abraham was very old and and his back hurt. You know, by the way that when we're telling stories, we have to be careful how we tell them because we use our hands a lot. And if we use that as an example, as if we're stooping over, he's very old, Hmm. you know, they're going to add those kinds of words to it. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So we really, we have, we have to, we get them to repeat the story a couple of times mm-hmm. and, and they're still just like us. We have to practice a lot. The more we tell it, 
the better we get at, at telling the story and not leaving things out or adding things in. Um, I've, I've, my personal experience, I will hear somebody tell a story and I'll, and I'll think, no, no, that's, that's not in the Bible. And it causes me to go to the Bible and search. And sure enough, it is in the Bible. <laughs> but um, sharing these stories with other people and then saying, okay, go. You know, it's like, you know, we'll make sure that it's, it's done properly. But the Holy Spirit is going to take care of all the, the incidentals. Mm-hmm. And when we yeah. see them the next time, we have to ask them, so tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. Yeah. That's their opportunity to testify Mm. and it's our opportunity to celebrate and and praise God and become more excited, more enthused about what we're doing. Mm. But uh, it's not micromanaging, not saying, okay, I want you to go over there and tell. Yeah. But it's, and that's kind of, that's, that's the freedom. It's not, you have to do it like this. Make sure that you include these steps because it's not a in the box kind of thing. It's not a, what they call a silver bullet, but it's, yeah. it's a, it's a model. It's a process that can be adapted to your own style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question that I have lots of thoughts on, but people always ask me, uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. So Americans, particularly Christian leaders, we often get really scared of heresy. We think, Hey, if you unleash the gospel and anyone can take it and do these things and be a part of these groups, then how do you protect against heresy? Uh, I have lots of thoughts. People have probably heard them already. I want to hear your thoughts, Rita. Like, how would you respond to that question? When you're asking me that question, it makes me think of many uh, pastors overseas, national pastors is what I'm talking about, who don't want to let their people go. They are like Pharaoh. They have to have mm. this power and control. Um, and nobody can baptize unless they are an ordained pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't see that in the Bible. Nope, it's not in there. Um, <laughs> and so this control issue of I'm the one that's ordained. I'm the one with yeah. this paper in my hand. I'm the only one that can do this. Um and part of that is, I guess they're afraid. I don't know if they're afraid of heresy or they just want the power. Mm. Um, but that's something that we also have to train as we are as we are teaching how the answers are in the scripture. Yep. And when we're teaching a story, questions always come up. But well, what about this? What about this? And our response is always. Well, let me repeat that part of the story. Mm -hmm. And so my answers always come back from the story itself. Mm -hmm. So they learn that this is not my opinion. I'm not giving my opinion. I'm only repeating scripture. That's teaching them to do the same. Yeah, so and, we work really close with that. And, and that's that's so freeing, Rita, for, for everyday people. Like So for listeners of this podcast who are connecting whatever friend group or network. Simple, yeah, reproducible. You don't have to know it all. And you don't, you don't right. have to even be able to defend it all. Like when you're actually like in these environments, you just like, you're teaching people how to point themselves back to what God is showing them in Scripture. The, I mean, when we say it's Bible-centered, 
an obedient space. That's what we're talking about. Like it's not, it's not Corey. It's not Reed. It's not Brian providing all of the answers. We're providing an environment Mm. for them to experience God and then to learn how to self feed in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just, I mean, for, for me, it is, it takes the weight off of my shoulders. Right. And for anyone Mm -hmm. listening, you are equipped. Yeah to do exactly what Rita is talking about, right? To just go back to the scriptures and say, what's God telling us? You know, it's funny. I did a little training this week with uh, this crew from the military, and uh, we were walking through a a real formal disciple-making process that we have or disciple-making environment. And um, I'd I'd worked out, like, this is how you'd lead um, one of these huddles. I'm talking about, like, nearly manuscripted out the entire 60-minute thing. It's like because I wanted to make it easy for anybody anywhere. And one of the guys goes, man, this is amazing. If you can read, you can lead. And I was like, bro, I'm totally stealing that, you know? Yeah. And so when you were saying that, I was like, yeah. So we have the scripture. If you can read, you can lead. And then I was like, wait a second. Not everybody can read. But it's like, you know, if if you can hear, you can lead. Because we've got audio Bibles now. We've got, you know, and it's like, yeah. listen to the story multiple times. Commit it. You know, hide God's word in your heart. Let it overflow from that place, you know. And it's like the framework is there to just take the scripture and simple questions. What are you asking of me? Yeah. What do you want me to do about it? You know, like what am I hearing? What am I going to do about it? Who can I tell? And, and I'm assuming, Rita, is like a lot of the places that you guys are engaged in, is it is it oral cu- cultures? Are people literate and very much oral culture. Yeah, it's an oral preference culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people can't read, but um, the majority of them don't prefer to read. Mm-hmm. Right. right, we're yeah. moving that way. Yeah, and one lots, of the, lots of pockets. Yeah. One of the dangerous words that we watch out for when we are listening to people tell stories, and uh, it started from when I had volunteers. They will tell the story and, and say because such and such and so when i hear that word because i'll punch them like <laughs> i like violence no, no, no. That's, that's that's not <laughs> that's not that's not in the bible don't tell don't say because uh, it, can you go yeah, further on that that's what, good. what's the uh like what's an example of that so paul and silas are going through the town of philippi and this uh girl is following after them saying these men are sons of the uh, these men are preaching the way of salvation because, you know, we don't like people doing that to us. And so Paul, he said, stop mm. in, the, in the name of Jesus. You talk, Talking to the demon, you come out of her. Mm. Because you know how it is when we're trying to share the gospel and somebody's hollering in our ear and then continue on with the story. Mm. Well, wait a minute, because that's not in the scripture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Whatever you say, those people you're teaching they are going to say, and that's how we keep the gospel pure and keep the heresy out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, so I've been in some fun, uh, trainings about storytelling, you know, like, uh, I mean, essentially it, it, the, the discovery Bible study process through storytelling, like, so we're retelling the stories that people, and then are, they're, they're dwelling on the, asking the question, what are you going to do about it? Who are you going to share it with? Uh, and you know, so I come at it through an American lens where, you know, most of everyone, even the people I'm connecting with in, in settings like jail and other, the vast majority of them are literate, you know, so we, we can hear, we can have the story in front of us in written form. And 
that editorializing that you're talking about. Like it's not, it happens, but if you're just focused on reading the scripture, it won't happen as naturally. But I can imagine in your setting, you know, missionaries, they're retelling it and they automatically want to start explaining it. And you're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Keep the purity of the word. And I, and that, that really goes back to so much of what we talked about is like God's word is enough. And we don't have to explain away things. And, and I think that's so, we're so tempted to do that. And like, yeah. it's like we explain things and we start to try to put it in the right context and framework all the time. And it's like, dude, most of the time you don't need to do that. Like mm-hmm. you don't need to even put it contextually in the right place in the story always. You just, I mean, sometimes it's necessary. Most of the time you don't. Like God will show up, the Holy Spirit, there's a purity to the, just the keeping the word, the word. Uh, but I can imagine in your setting, just uh there's probably a freedom in that and a frustration i would imagine of of being an oral culture yeah sometimes we will teach a we will oh not teach we will share a story and then (laughs) say you you know this is what this is talking about and we'll want to teach them what the story means Mm -hmm. and so my response then is who's more powerful yeah you or the holy spirit come on because the holy spirit is the one that's doing the teaching yeah that's right well, this was supposed to be mostly about um, obedience-based and storytelling, but I, one of the things you began with was just that your journey started out of this place of extraordinary prayer. Mm. Um, and so I kind of want to go back to that. That's a, the first phase that we always talk about in disciple-making movements and, yeah, is extraordinary prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. Whenever we talk about planting the gospel, it's with prayer, so... I was curious if you can take just a couple of minutes and talk about your journey with that. How has prayer informed how you've gone into these new villages, new contexts, new places, and how's that still a part of of what you're doing in planting the gospel? Well, our, our first step is always to raise an awareness of what we're going to do, what people groups uh, need the gospel, and so we have uh, created a prayer advocacy. Uh, network to get many people praying. And that does a couple of things. Number one, it increases the prayer for these people, mm-hmm. but it also increases a passion inside the person who is praying mm-hmm. for these people. Yeah. And through praying, which is what happened to me, that drew me to the people that drew me to mm-hmm. wanting personal contact with the actual people I'm praying for. And that increases the number of people who go. Um, and then when we get our feet on the ground, I would always say, you know, you, I, I can't do anything. I can't sing. I can't, I can't, I can't dance. I can't preach. But I can pray. Anybody can mm. pray. Mm. And so one of the most powerful, powerful things for anyone to do is to go on site, walk, and just pray. Mm. It opens our eyes to what's going on, it deepens, uh, give us a better understanding of what we need to pray for. Mm. And it it stirs our heart. It gives us courage. Then when we do find somebody, hey, I was praying for this. I'm going to move in. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to take a step and I'm going to share the gospel with them now. Mm. But it's preparing, it's watering the soil, It's preparing for those seeds to be planted. It's interesting the way that you describe that. I was listening to a book this week, and he talked about 
how worship is so important for us. And he made the comment that like he was referring to worship through music mostly. And he's like, the way he said it was like, it's the only thing that really um, captures responding to the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's like, we have to use our body to sing and our minds have to be engaged in the lyrics and then our uh, heart, anyway, soul, like, yeah, the soul, like the way that it moves in the deep places. But it's like the way that you just described prayer and walking in a new Mm. place to pray. I was like, it's funny the way he said it's like, it's the only thing I can come up with. And I thought, well, that's kind of lazy. I'm not sure you really thought through that. Very far. <laughs> was like, but the way you describe that is like, you know, your your body is engaged and walking and moving and it's connecting to the place in a physical way. And, and even just like moving our mouths in that way is like, you know, stirring something up in our minds. We have to see and engage. What are we seeing? What is the spirit calling to us based on what our, our eyes take in and our minds are thinking about to pray for? And mm-hmm. it moves our heart, you know, it's like, yeah. and I, I'm, I break for this thing and I don't want to see this, you know, continue. I want to bring good news and it moves our soul to connect with it. I don't want to leave this place until good news has been shared. Mm-hmm. It's like, hmm. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's going to... Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. no, this didn't have anything to do with this, but just came no, up. You know, it actually does. I think of the more that I pray for my friends and my neighbors, the more that I want to be with them, the more that I want Jesus to meet them, the more that like I'm, uh, I have motivation to not just stay in my house tonight because I'm tired, but mm-hmm. to go out in my front yard, you know, like, or whatever it is. Like there, I do think it's important and, and I remember years ago the first like when I was first learning about a lot of this stuff and and I was talking about extraordinary prayer and the and it was it was to a practitioner and and I was just talking about all the miracles I want to see miracles I want to see all this and, and they said something like yeah and I think sometimes it's just we pray just because God it, God changes our hearts when we pray mm-hmm. and and not to say all those other things aren't true as well but just our own posture to, for us to pray for people uh, leads us to do something about it, you know? Yeah. So that's so cool that that was part of your story too. Yeah. Yeah. And praying for our enemies gives us a passion for our enemies. We begin to see them through different eyes. And as we pray also, um, we're looking at God's nature. Oh God, I see this beautiful orange and red leaves. You, I love how you change the leaves with the season. Would you please change the hearts of these people here to respond to your gospel. So we use his nature. We're honoring him with that and also just creating more creativity in our prayers and more passion as Mm, well. mm, mm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's great. I just like, I love just like hearing stories and hearing examples. And there was someone we trained a while back who was just doing prayer walks in her neighborhood. And she'd never really thought much about just kind of this, um, this like prophetic kind of blessing prayer type of stuff. And she was, she, and she started describing, she starts getting into it and she sees this type of tree and how it's covering the house with shade. And she starts praying, God, would this, would your word cover their household? You know, like all things, yeah, and it's yeah. like all these things yes. from nature, these things that they're seeing in front of them. And she begins to, to declare that over them. I mean, I love that. That is a, that's a participatory prayer life as well. And it's just, it's, it's so, it's so cool. And this is and every, this person actually lives really close to me, a few blocks away from me. And I'm just like, Ooh, yeah, come, come, pray, come, pray yeah, over come, yeah, come walk over <laughs> by my house as you're praying. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Rita, we so appreciate you spending time. You have a very peaceful presence. Yeah. Um, that uh, I just speak that back over you. It's, it's mm. great to be able to spend a half hour just hearing your story and what Jesus is doing in and through you. And uh, we bless you as you go back to West Africa. Amen. And Amen. may the Lord use you in beautiful ways to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. Amen. Thank can, you. Can we ask Thank her the, the question? Yeah. Absolutely. You go for it. You, you do it so much better. <laughs> oh, stop it, Corey. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Rita, we always ask everybody that we're interviewing if if um, the Lord were to give you a word over the underground right now that would be a blessing over us, an encouragement, even a challenge. Um, most of the people that listen to this are connected to our movement here and are trying to plant the gospel in this city to see a microchurch emerge. So... <laughs> If you had just one word that you would share over us, what would that word be? I mean, it doesn't have to be literally one word. It, it could be a paragraph. But <laughs> I would say don't be ashamed of the gospel. Mm. Learn those stories. Don't memorize scripture, but, but learn them. Mm. Repeat them over and over to yourself and then go out and share that story. He can even ask somebody, hey, I'm learning this. Do you mind if I practice? <laughs> That's um, good. And just get involved with sharing his word. If you have one to get little Bible story groups together to practice. Mm. Um, but go and take that next step Yeah. and tell them, ask them, who do you know that needs to hear it? And encourage them to go. And come back to them and ask them, who did you share? How did it go? Well, I didn't get to share it this time. Okay, well, let's, I'll give you another chance. Let's, let's go, go ahead and go again. But be persistent. Mm-hmm. Don't give up on that. Um, but really seek the Lord in, in all that you do uh, through prayer and journaling, fasting. Mm-hmm. And uh, may God bless you and God give you strength and God give you courage to obey his command to go and make disciples, not to go evangelize, Mm -hmm. but to go and make disciples of all nations who will also make disciples. Mm -hmm. Say, God bless you all. I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm excited about what the Holy Spirit's doing through you, through your obedience. Amen. So good. Thanks, Rita. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Underground Podcast. We hope that it's either been an encouragement to you or that it's created a curiosity about what it means to live into a missionary mindset with an aim to make disciples and see the church emerge. If you're a missionary or a microchurch in Kansas City and you're looking for coaching or just belonging within a network, we'd love to connect with you so we can learn about what you are doing and how you are joining Jesus for gospel saturation in this city. If you're outside the Kansas City area and have questions about what it would mean to catalyze a disciple-making movement that leads to the emergence of microchurches in every network within your city, we'd love to connect with you as well and offer whatever resources might be helpful to you. You can find out more at kcunderground.com. Grace and peace, friends.